We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In case you thought it wasn't appropriate to continue talking about Arsenal, you're wrong. This is the Arsenal Vision pre-match, post-match podcast. What am I talking about? I've been saying World Cup daily every day. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I said pre-match. Look, okay, let's go behind the scenes here. We're trying a new recording environment for this uh, episode. Something that makes it a little easier to put out on YouTube to see how it goes. And we figured we'd do it now while we're in the World Cup, work out the kinks. You know, kind of like setting up a setting up a little bit of a, a friendly right? Like Arsenal are doing, except like a friendly podcast where we can work out the kinks on some new technology. And what I didn't realize is not only the music I played on the YouTube side is the old theme music. So if you miss the old theme music, you can go back and listen to it over on YouTube. And uh, it says pre-match show on the video instead of just regular show. So it's all kinds of messed up. But if you're just listening on a regular podcast platform, you won't know any of that, which is a good thing uh, because, you know, we're, like I said, we're working out the kinks. So Here's the story. We are going to talk Arsenal today. We're doing the World Cup Daily. There'll still be a World Cup Daily out uh, today, as usual. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's your cup runneth over with podcasts. What that does mean, though, is that this won't be much of a discussion about the World Cup. Now, as a reminder, we did a scouting video for Danilo, uh, for, uh, who else did we do on that? Oh, Facundo Torres. We've also done one for Mudrick and Jesper Lindstrom. There was even a mystery person scouted. So those are all over on the Patreon side if you want to be there. We got a lot going on. There's pods every day. Hopefully you are enjoying um, the World Cup to the extent that you know that's possible while we're all thinking about uh, Arsenal. But if not, no problem. Arsenal will be back amazingly sooner than it seems. And if you did celebrate the holiday recently in America, happy holiday. I hope it was a good time. And here to talk actual Arsenal stuff with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. You finally got it. I did finally get it. And with me as well is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Paz My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woo! Oh, indeed. So, yeah, so just the um, wrong video, the wrong audio, and me with the wrong intro. Again, it's a friendly. We're not going to bring this kind of energy to the season when it comes back. So, nothing to worry about there. But, Tim... I guess let's start just with a little meta discussion. Like, let, let's go super zoomed out. How are you 
doing with it being November and there's no Arsenal? How are you doing with this World Cup taking place and there's no Arsenal? Because, like, it feels a million years ago we played Wolves. The intensity and heat and nervousness and excitement of the season we've been building just feels like it's been cauterized. Like, it just came to a stop like a freight train. I have no idea how the players and the manager are going to recapture the momentum and psychological edge of where we were if I, random fan, can't even stay connected to it. So how are you, from a sort of meta, macro standpoint, dealing with the absence of Arsenal football at the time of year when usually it would be at a fever pitch? Yeah, I've got two answers to this question, really, because in one sense, it hasn't stopped for me because uh, the women's season is still rolling. True, and we will um, get on to that, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I'm massively grateful for that because um, it has given me uh, Arsenal. And actually, October for me was mega intense because the men's team played nine games, the women's team played six games. <laughs> and, you know, being across all of that, that's like 15 games in 31 days. It did feel pretty intense. Um, so I'm, I'm actually quite grateful because what's going to happen is the women's season goes on till like uh, their last game is the 21st of December and then they don't play again till 15th of January. So I've got this nice period where they actually don't even overlap again mm-hmm. until mid-January so I can concentrate on one at a time. But with regards to the, the men's side, it feels a bit like, you know how when you wake up from a dream, and like for a couple of seconds, you remember it all quite vividly. But the longer the time goes on, the more like the memory of the dream disintegrates and you start going, oh, what was it about? I remember this person was in it, but what were they doing in it? Like the further you get away from the dream, the less you remember. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. And and you're right, like Wolves feels like a million years ago. It's a fortnight um, just two weeks ago. And it feels, and particularly, <clears throat> you know, when you just get dumped straight into like a, a world cup like this. And usually with a world cup, you're used to like a, a good period of build up and you're used to like a slow transition between the two. And then you, you kind of just get right premier league. Now it's world cup. And it's, it, it is just a bit like waking from like some kind of fever dream or anxiety dream or something like that. Um, I, I kind of welcomed the break a little bit at first because, like I said, there were just so many games in October, but I knew that like that wouldn't be enough to sustain me for six weeks. And look, I've already bought my ticket for the Juventus friendly, um, put it that way. And uh, my my friendly embargo will be very much lifted uh, when Arsenal play those two games in Dubai. That's (laughs) going to be so weird. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul, that's one that I wanted to to get onto because, Tim, I think you hit on something really interesting. Right now, I feel like, uh, you know, it almost feels like a train track where – the the train has been switched from the track that runs your heart and your mind down the Arsenal track to the international football track. But much like the trolley problem, we're going to have to decide what to do to when say, these friendlies go. Yeah. How many, is there a nun and are there some small children? Because I'm not that conflicted yet. Yeah, if you don't know the trolley problem, please Google trolley problem or Google uh, the good place trolley problem because they did a funny send up of it. But um, the the issue now is that we are going to have some Arsenal football And we're going to be smacked in the face with the real oddity of a World Cup, the biggest international football that can exist going on while Arsenal are playing. And I find myself already getting excited to watch a friendly, which tells you where my meter is on which I care about more. That's going to be a really interesting 
smack in the face of how much club football means when this meaningless friendly comes up. And I think a lot of us are going to be like, all right, yeah, World Cup, I get it, but what's happening in the friendly? So how are you, how are you looking forward to these friendlies? And, and how do you think the club and the manager and the players are going to handle staying engaged at a time of year when there's, you'd normally have no problem being focused, but right now it just seems like, it just seems like an afterthought. Uh, I think it's going to be weird and difficult and funky for everybody. It's uncharted territory. They don't know how it's going to be. Um, I think the clubs that are the most kind of grounded at the moment, who have the least going on politically, you know, you want as many factors pulled out of it. I think Arsenal is quite a simple club right at this moment. Wasn't a year or two or three or four ago. Um, and really, so they only need to, I mean, there's all sorts of things going on behind the scenes, but in, in, in terms of the broader picture, what's going on at other clubs, um, we should have the simpler emotional landscape to come into this break, come out of this break, get sorted and get going again. We know where we're at, what we're trying to do. I think the end of last year, the way the season played out, the fact that we had something that we felt we kind of let it go and the cost of of letting your focus go. Now, I think there was a, lot, a hell of a lot more going on than that at the end of last season. I think it was way more about losing key personnel across our back line and in deep midfield. But there was certainly a psychological aspect where when we lost our shit, we totally lost our shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't that calm and chill. So they're going to, continually even if it's not directly applicable they'll all keep pointing back to that did we learn our lessons of not being on task on mission like i think it's going to be a great focusing point even though the lessons maybe aren't directly applicable the principle is if you miss a beat you like it can throw you off and so uh, i think there's a good chance that arsenal will come back in good shape with a simplified uh, kind of emotional approach to what the season's about. Uh, Personally, I found, like, I'm warming up to this World Cup game by game. I'm not actually tuned into the... I was just thinking yesterday about the... the, the uh, friendlies that are coming up, I I am kind of switched to the World Cup. I'm not quite switched. That seems really weird right now. That seems too early to me. I'm not ready to turn on those burners while while I'm excited about the World Cup. Um, but my world's different to an Arsenal player's world, so they'll be feeling different. That, that'll all change the minute it kicks off and you're yeah. hunting for an illegal stream and you hear that Emil Smith-Rowe is in the starting lineup. Now, and it's, you're going to be like, the World Cup, what? What is that? I don't even know what were their games today. You're gonna you're yeah. gonna know the 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 XG of Emil Smith Rowe and a friendly played in 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 uh, Dubai. I believe Emil Smith Rowe is a great one. So I'll probably never write this blog, but I have this blog I want to write called uh, Return of the Wolf. Right, relating to him, relating to the way he was reintroduced into the wild in that game against Chelsea in. In December, that restarted. The, I don't know if you've seen that uh, video that was on uh, Twitter, YouTube. It was about. I think it was about Yellowstone. They'd taken the wolves out, or the wolves had died off, and they had coyotes and deer and this, that, and the other. But the hierarchy wasn't quite right. But they didn't know that. But they thought it'd be cool to put in a couple of wolves, and suddenly they bring in a few wolves. The coyotes piss off because they're terrified of wolves. The deer push back to their normal boundaries. 
all of the kind of pyramid of the ecology changed. Everything came to life. The whole park, the the way the waters flowed, because I didn't know what they had. Beavers and otters and orangutans. I don't know what there is in Yellowstone, but the whole hierarchy kind of reassembled itself. That complex systems thing, you don't really know how to build a complex system. But if you start yanking out parts, you'll pull it apart. They reintroduced the wolves. And we didn't know in our Yellowstone of Arsenal what we needed at that time, except we reintroduced the wolf, the kinds of players, Saka and Smithrow, the kinds of players that attacked through the middle, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I really think I'm getting pretty excited about the Smithrow portion of this. I think he can add something really important to how we play. We have we have other wolves now, but he was, in some ways, he was the original reintroduced the wolf for me. And since nobody's listening to this podcast, um, <laughs> that's going to be my column yeah. uh, for this week. Uh, so thanks for that, Paul. You might not have time to write it. I, will I, not I don't. Write it. I'm lo- Thank you. I'm looking forward to reading it, Tim, because I'm not sure I followed it as Paul was explaining it. So I think it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if it comes together as a podcast. And, and that is an interesting question, though, Tim, in that we do play West Ham on Boxing Day. Vieira isn't at the World Cup. Emil Smith-Rowe isn't at the World Cup. Eddie Nketia isn't at the World Cup. I mean, look, we're top of the table five points clear. You can't be cavalier. But might Mikel say, I'm playing Juventus and Milan and Lyon in friendlies. I'm getting these guys sharp and ready and focused on our positional football. And might he be inclined to incorporate, to integrate, for that West Ham game at least, some players who have stayed behind? And Emil Smith-Rowe is one in particular who I'm sure will be chomping at the bit to Paul's point, to uh, he, he must be hungry like the wolf, as they say, to, to get into the lineup. <laughs> Go on, sing it. You know you want to. <laughs> I do you? want you, to. You love to I burst out a bit of Duran Duran for do no really to. good reason. <laughs> but um, it, it's funny you say that because genuinely, I have one of the good things about the break is like writing stuff because nothing's going to happen. It's like the summer because nothing's going to happen. You can just like mm. write stuff. So I've got the next three weeks <laughs> yeah. sorted. And, and uh, the thing that's going to come this week is pretty much that point so I've focused on three players Emil Smith-Rowe Eddie Nketiah and uh, Kieran Tierney Mm. Um, I could have put Fabio Vieira in there but didn't but the thing is Arsenal made the fewest starting lineup changes of any team in the Premier League so far and Generally, when teams do that, they usually topple near the top of the league. Yep, um, and fewest year number of on it. minutes per sub. Like the that's the other end yep. of it, right? I mean, it's not just we're starting the same eleven; we keep the buggers on the pitch. Yep, yep. And when I wrote about um, kind of our over reliance on Saka Martinelli last week, I looked at the substitution patterns of when they come <laughs> off on the rare occasions that they do, and it's always like you know Saka came off in the ninety second minute for holding. Or like Martinelli came off in the 70th minute when we were 4-0 up or something like that. Like it's never been about changing the game. Um, and actually we haven't really had to that often because I think we've only been behind twice in the Premier League this season against Fulham and then Man United. Um, so we haven't needed to change. The, but like all of that is going to change. All of that is going to change. We are not going to keep... Um, I don't know, we might end up with the fewest starting lineup changes, but it's not going to be... 
to this extent, basically. So those players, they are going to have to make a contribution, particularly if we're balancing Europa League as well um, in the second half of the season, which we which we might well be if we go a few few more rounds in that. So we're going to need those players. And, you know, to your point, Elliot, Boxing Day, West Ham, there is a fantastic chance we are not going to have Jesus and Martinelli. Like Brazil could go to the final, could win it, etc., etc. That's going to be eight days before the West Ham game. Any of our players get to the final, they're probably not going to play against West Ham. And Brazil are the most likely, I think, the players we've got. England... At least they probably won't have played, right? They probably won't have played, so they might still be drunk, but they should be fit. At least they're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, but there's so many other variables to consider, like, and and all Premier League clubs are going to have to consider this, like, what if your players win it? And you remember that interview Per Mertesacker gave in 2014 when he said, I found it difficult for a few months to recalibrate. What if they lose it? Like, at least when Saka missed his penalty last summer, he got to go on holiday the day after. Like, what if, what you know, what if Brazil get to the final or something, there's a shootout, Jesus or Martinelli miss the penalty, and then we cut, like, you know, so all stuff that doesn't really bear thinking about, but there could be a big high, there could be a big <clears throat> trauma yeah. as well, and how do we deal with that? But regardless of all of that, guys like Nketiah, Smithrow, Tierney, like, against West Ham, they're probably going to have to play... And like the advantage is they'll get to play, presumably Smith Rowe as well, all three of those friendlies. So they have a chance to really get the rhythm that, you know, Tierney, I don't think it's a rhythm thing. He has been getting a lot of minutes. They're just not the minutes he wants. They're the Europa League minutes. But he's trying to learn a new style of play. He'll have a couple more friendlies to try to do that. Smith Rowe is about getting fit again. In Ketia, he's lost that rhythm that he had at the end of last season because he was playing every game and he was playing it with Saka, Erdegaard, and Martinelli rather than like Fabio Vieira, Reese Nelson and guys mm-hmm. like that. So it's a chance for them to come back into some rhythm because at the very least for the West Ham game, we're going to have to rely on them to some extent, even if it's, you know, coming off the bench. And and really what's going to have to, for us to sustain any kind of challenge is we're going to have to move from being a 14-man team and quite a lot of those extra players are defenders anyway. So, you know, your, your 12th men are like Tomiyasu, Tierney at the moment. We're going to have to move from that to being more of a 16-17 man team. That's going to mean Nketiah doing a bit more. That's going to mean Smith-Rowe coming back into the fold. That's going to mean Vieira, you know, progressing and developing a little bit. <clears throat> We're going to need those guys one way or another because we've kind of gotten away so far with maybe some over-reliance on Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, Party, people like that. And there's an excellent chance we're not going to be able to do that for, you know, it's, we're not halfway through the season. We're like just over a third. So we'll, we'll need those guys and those friendlies are going to be very big for them. Yeah, even, uh, even Tommy Asso might be late back from the the World Cup based on uh, did you see the Japanese dressing room after their game? Uh no the the, lo- the loss? No the the win. Uh yes, I did see that. And <laughs> <laughs> how's that working now unfortunately? <laughs> I, d- I I did, yeah. There's a there's a really funny tweet from Andy Ha who does uh, lots of funny tweets where mm-hmm. he's reversed the film of Japanese fans tidying the stadium up and kind of just said, look at these Japanese fans throwing rubbish all over the floors. Disgraceful. Yeah. I'm like, I was picturing them celebrating after the win, like 
throwing things, but thinking, mm, I'm going to have to pick that up later. I, I won't throw too much water or I won't throw that too far. You know, Tommy's going to have to pick that up. But basically, I think, uh, yeah, Tommy could be late back from the, the World Cup based on how tidy mm. that dressing room needs to be when they're all done. Uh, so a couple of tweets that if you want to steal them and go ahead and be ready for them, obviously when the first lineup comes out for that friendly against Lyon, Arteta out, he hasn't picked Jesus, he hasn't picked Martinelli, any of those (laughs) tweets will be good. And then obviously the meltdown after the loss in a friendly, assuming Arsenal ever lose a football match. So that would be another one. Um, I I will play pop psychologist just briefly and say, I actually think if Brazil or, or one of the teams that had prominent Arsenal players in it win the world cup, that will be the bigger problem for Arsenal than if they don't. I think trying to be like, now I've got to knuckle down and focus on winning the Premier League will just seem almost almost quaint, having lifted the World Cup for Brazil. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying, Tim, versus if you lose it, I think you will want to find a place to bury yourself to get away from the misery. And the the the, the place you would do it, right, would be like, I'm still competing to win the Premier League. I've still got the chance to achieve legend status to achieve something massive and you could just like sink yourself right back into club football as a way to like hide from the disappointment of the world cup but if you've won it yeah how do you get refocused it, this is so unfair that these players eight days after the tournament ends or 12 days even whatever it is are going to have to shift gears psychologically forget physically just psychologically back to caring about this stuff. Yeah, I I read, excuse me, I read like an interesting tidbit in the Brazilian press this morning about Gabriel Jesus and like, like this is how, like, listen, every nation is under pressure in the World Cup and all Mm -hmm. of that. And we all hear about the things they do, like, do they have the family there or not? And if they win the tournament, whatever they decided was a masterstroke. And if they don't, it's the reason they didn't win and blah, blah, blah. But I read this really good bit about Gabriel Jesus, which kind of said his family's not out in Qatar yet because they weren't sure he was going to be picked and they didn't want to jinx it and obviously the squads are announced so close to the tournament that they didn't have time um to arrange flights so like his family aren't out there yet um but also like brazil have because he was so criticized after the last world cup brazil have done this thing where they're like they're keeping him out of the spotlight because what his issue was last time he got criticized and the mistake he made was that he engaged with the criticism and everything he said was right. Like, cause he didn't score a goal. Everyone was like, you're useless. You didn't score a goal. And he was like, well, no, but I was doing other things. And you know, my role was, and everyone's like, shut up. We don't care. Yeah. And like he engaged with it. And also like his mum gave interviews and stuff like that. And it just kind of made things a bit worse as, as harsh as that sounds. And so I read this thing about how, first of all, Brazil this time have decided not to let the families have that much contact with the players, although that's largely, I think, because of Neymar. Because yeah. Neymar's dad was like marching in the fucking dressing room last time and <laughs> and all of that. So I think they've just gone, right, Neymar's dad is too much of a problem, so we'll just say no families. But with Gabriel Jesus, they're just like, we're not putting him up for press conferences. We're not, we're just like, keeping 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 him under wraps a little bit and of course it's different for him this time anyway because last time he was starting and this time he isn't Richarlison scored twice in the first game so like he's not going to effectively but um what's interesting he's still got on the field obviously what's really interesting is that Martinelli got on which I, I think that's Sorry to steer this to the World Cup, but I, I think that's really interesting because he was—he's got the number twenty-six. That's where he was um, in the squad, and 
I, I know you've referenced it on podcasts about like people were talking about how well he trained. That did come out in the Brazilian press a lot. Videos of him spanking shots into the top corner mm-hmm. came out a lot, and it obviously made an impression for him to come on. And he um, looked really good. Game. I mean, it was hard to shine in that game. The second half was lit from Brazil with kind of attacking star after attacking star, and yet he still really popped. I mean, that was a contribution. Um, so you yeah. could imagine. And, and Jesus did his thing, but uh, I get why Brazilian fans don't get him. Um, like, I thought he was pretty good when he came on, but you wouldn't come away with any highlights in your mind. He just opened it up for other players and got in the right spots and the things Jesus does. Yeah, and now Neymar's out of um, the last two group games, so that does open up uh-huh. a spot. That that basically, I mean, again, I don't think either of them will fill it per se yeah. as yep. a starter, but it it takes away like another another attacker, moves them up one. It'll be interesting. So let's shift gears to the Arsenal players at the World Cup. And since uh, Tim has taken over the role of host and moved us on to that topic, <laughs> which is where I was going to go anyway. So Paul, uh, Tomiyasu did not play, was not on the bench, has been training alone for Japan. I can only assume that this is disciplinary. And no, I'm kidding. Um, I can he, likes that, he likes yeah, a niggle. He likes a niggle. He does like an injury. And and this is one of the things that is unfortunate, but you have to be a little bit more savvy about this stuff as a club. We, we've seen two seasons wrecked by Tierney not being able to stay fit. So we went out and did the smart thing, got a less fit fullback to, to compliment him <laughs> so that we could play our also not fit right back as the alternative left back. I am not kidding you when I say Tomiyasu, Tierney, and Zinchenko are the left backs for Arsenal, and all of them can't stay fit. It is almost comically uh, uh, Arsenal in its design, but I'm wondering, how worried are you about this? I mean, I guess from the Arsenal of it, you could say, look, if he's going to get a niggle and he's going to have to sit out for a while, it might as well be now. Um, you know, if they, I don't know if they're going to be able to make a deep run. Obviously, they, they've lost... I say today, we are recording on a Sunday. This will come out on a Monday, but they have lost today as we record this, and that's going to put things in jeopardy for them. But what's your take on the the, the potential of a Tomiyasu injury, uh, it happening now, and the fact that maybe we are not as vulnerable to it in our current squad com- uh, composition? Yeah, I guess I don't feel that way. Uh, I feel quite worried about it, Elliot. Something you should be That's able my to. That's my job. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say. yeah. Oh, I got a, I got a whole. If we have time, of a whole bit in, on you and worrying, but, but maybe oh, that could be. A, yeah, uh, that could be a little special section. Um, no, I'm quite worried about the Tommy thing because if this were Arsenal and there was a risk of a niggle, we wouldn't play him. But this is Japan. This is their World Cup. This is everything, um, and they, I mean, they brought him on for a half when he'd been hadn't been fit beforehand. They brought him on because uh, team unity, giving everything for their country, blah, blah, blah. And that is not necessarily optimum for the player and tracking where he's at in terms of his fitness. Like, they could crock him. He could crock himself because giving it all for the cause. And that's not what we'd do. That's not maybe what a club looking at a long season would do. I think we may feel right now that we have coverage across the back line. Uh, somehow, by having Tomiyasu and Zinchenko, the one thing it has done is turned Kieran Tierney into a very fit player for the first 14 games of this season. So we've been a little protected from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that's 
maybe that's something in itself gives him a run like i'm still a big preseason guy we're about to have our next little preseason come up here so i think the friendlies you know they have an importance because the players want to see it's still clicking and they're still moving forward even though they're missing half their their half the muchachos here Mm. um and tamiyasu could well be out before the or in the first round of the qualifier, <laughs> you know uh, what I'd love to see. <laughs> I'd love to see Arsenal with the audacious call up Japan and ask to have him sent back to the club. <laughs> you know, like because like, you know how sometimes when they're doing friendlies, when it's like yeah. just friendly games and a player's got a little bit of a niggle, you'll call up the nation and be like, "Hey, send him back to train with us." I'd love to see a, a club try that, like during the World Cup. <laughs> you know, just be like, "Ah, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of he's a little he's a little banged up. Send him back to us and see what Japan <laughs> says about that." <laughs> I definitely think you find that funnier than I do. But I, I, I think I find that funnier than Japan would, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we could be getting him back for, early enough that he could be a significant contributor to the tail end of our friendlies going into the first game within the league. Uh, who knows what, you know, maybe Ben White will go on a run in the World Cup. Like, uh, we could get injuries. I still think Tamiyasu, not that you weren't saying that, but he could be a very, very important player to us. Oh yeah, yeah. In in the what is it, twenty four games to go. So I'm not very sanguine really about the fact that uh, I'll I'll say it a little strongly that he's been u- allowing himself to be used and abused at this point for Japan qualification when he's clearly not fit. He he didn't even last a half there. He shouldn't have been on there. So uh, and I think it's a big one. Our back yeah. line. Keeping our back line fit with lots of options competing is not just enough to have the requisite number of players to start a game. Yeah, no, I, I think that's certainly the case. And like what Tomiyasu, don't like it. What's Tomiyasu does by being in the squad, he's not necessarily the guy that you, you want to start at any position, but he makes everything feel safer if someone has to come off or you have to make a change, right? So like yeah. you probably want Ben White starting ahead of him, but if Ben White's not there, you feel great about Tomiyasu. Zinchenko and Tierney, we've already discussed the comedy of that situation, but you feel okay if you have Tomiyasu over there. Even at center back, if you have to move Ben White back to center back because there's one out, like the less you have to start making decisions like, am I going to start holding? Am I going to start Cedric, right? The better you feel. And Tomiyasu is central to being in that situation. Um, Tim, another Arsenal players at the World Cup related uh, moment was the nice moment after the USA England game where Turner and Ramsdale and Saka <clears throat> are all pictured, uh, and Ben White, of course. And quite hilariously, if you haven't seen the picture, I think Ramsdale has his goalkeeping gloves in his shorts. So it At least we assume. We assume. I mean, who knows? <laughs> and he looks <laughs> but, pregnant in that photo. Yeah, we don't body shame here, but like it was very funny looking. But that was, you know, I, I know it's so dumb and it makes me like it's fanboying, but I just loved that moment. And I, I think it was it Ben White who posted it as like reunite or something. Um, and, and it must've been sort of an interesting dynamic, right? Cause you have Ramsdale who's not starting for England, which I think he should, but that's a different issue. And Turner, who's been brilliant in two games for the USA really coming to the fore in that, in that meetup. So did, were you as moved by that little picture for reasons I can't explain as I was, or am I just fanboying out? yeah 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 definitely it, it is it is nice when you see that definitely 
um, not least because it kind of seems quite genuine. Because I, yeah. I think you could quite easily give someone the wide berth if you wanted to, <laughs> um, and also like, and and also like it came just after I saw like because I think on certainly on the well no I say the UK pictures I know the pictures are provided locally like at full time it was like Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic and you're kind of like. I don't want to. I don't want to see those guys. <laughs> Hard pass. Um, yeah. but, but from from an Arsenal perspective, what really really interested me about this game was the performance of Matt Turner. I thought mm. he was great. Brilliant. Um, I thought particularly his dominance off his line. Like I can't remember a single cross he didn't just come out and get. Um, and other than there was one point in the second half where he went for a bit of a wander <laughs> outside his penalty area with the ball, and I thought. Yeah, but that's okay, what Allison and Ederson doing? do, right? He he <laughs> he pulled it off, right? That that's the confidence that if there was one thing to me, Tim, that Matt Turner scared the heck out of me when he first arrived at Arsenal was he looked like a deer in headlights. He looked so mm. scared. And Matt Turner we're seeing at the World Cup, at the World Cup is Arsenal through and through, right? Like get the ball at my feet, I'm gonna have a little fun, drop a shoulder, carry the ball. He looks so confident. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I just thought, um, you know, we talked about some of his earlier performances, and I and I do think people were maybe overly worried not not so much about the ball at feet thing i do think that that was you know quite he did genuinely look quite uncomfortable certainly the first game and and that was like well can he work on that kind of thing but his overall goalkeeping i thought i i think has looked really really well i say really like it's looked okay he's looked decent to me but i, I don't know if it's just like playing in a different type of team like this. And he made a brilliant he, save against Wales, I think it was. I think it was a header, maybe. Yeah. Just a since I think maybe a keeper more got, header. Yeah. yeah, he nearly got that bail penalty. Yeah, he well, did. There wasn't Probably so much have. power behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um he'd he'd have got there. But and you know, like it's not like he's been USA's number one for years and years and he's had no competition. Like he's had to fight to get in there. like even before the world cup it was just one of those well we think matt turner's going to be number one but it's not entirely because you know he's had to fight with uh is it zach stefan um mm-hmm. Zach as Steph, well yeah. mm-hmm. and and look like you usa like um that a lot of goalkeepers who've played in the premier league um which i think we've discussed before i assume is kind of down to being multidisciplinary sports that in that um use a lot of hand-eye coordination but uh, yeah I thought his his performance was the most well obviously Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale didn't come on so other than the gloves in shorts there was nothing really to pick out. It's kind of a strange one in a way that he came to Arsenal because he risked his US position when you look at it right he could he could be having the runnersons right now the club might capriciously be deciding they're going to start Ramsdale once any cup competition gets serious, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you would have thought he would plumb for a, a maybe a European club in Germany or, or lower table Premier League or something like that, where he's really, truly competing for the number. And like maybe he is, maybe he's fully competing for the number one shirt at Arsenal. It's just going to take time. Certainly he's playing he's, in Europe. You know, I yeah. mean, like, because like, mm. can, can I stop you for one second there, Paul? Like, yeah. this is where I think Americans are different from footballers around the world in that we don't have an international sporting culture to match the international footballing culture around the world. I think if you're a professional athlete in America, you are 98.73% focused on your club career. And in some sports, 100% focused like NFL and, you know, 2% at most focused on your international career. No American player is going to be like, 
well, if I stay at Red Bulls, you know, New York, Red Bull, New York, mm, okay. and start for Red Bull, New York, I'll be the U.S. <laughs> keeper instead of going to Arsenal and being the backup for 4X the money. And, oh, by the way, I might get to start Europa League games. Like, I just think what you're mm. describing is spot on for most footballers worldwide. I just don't think that athlete athlete culture exists as much in the U.S. And when you're talking about the difference in money and difference in prestige, and he's not 22. So he's not saying, like, yeah, I've got yeah. all the time in the world to make it to Europe. So and It's a great gig and Arsenal a great platform. Fan, Arsenal, yeah. yeah, so so for me, and, oh, by the way, the difference, because there is such a an inferiority complex in the U.S. a little bit about football, going and being the backup for Arsenal might in some ways elevate your stature versus being the starter for the Portland Timbers or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And his his competition is back up for Man City. That, yeah, that, so. exactly. Yep, that's a good point. Really, really good point. Well made. Sorry to cut you off there, Paul, but I do think that yeah, culturally no, there's a distinction there, you know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's definitely, I had a big question mark. I don't get it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, well, let's do this because I do want to discuss uh, just a couple more performances of the World Cup. Then I want to shift gears to transfer rumors because hashtag clicks. So, I think it's really important to say that, you know, this mentality of staying focused in the World Cup and staying focused on Arsenal is going to be an interesting one to track. But to the extent that we are talking about, you know, staying focused, we're talking about mental well-being. And to the extent that we're talking about mental well-being, we should tell you that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um it is the holidays, and the holidays are a time of year when we should be experiencing joy and togetherness and love and all of those things, but it is also a time of year where some people don't have that, um, or they do have that, but they still feel isolation. They still feel uh, challenges. I will mention that uh, yesterday I had to put one of my cats to sleep, and it was heartbreaking. Uh, 18 years old, been with me through most of my adult life, um, and and he has a brother that's never been apart from him, so now the brother cat is like wandering around the house lost and confused it's 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 hard right i'm sorry buddy oh thanks man i appreciate it well yeah it it stinks and it's almost a year to the day i had to put my dog down and like as an adult you're just supposed to be okay you just handle it you know stuff it down deep inside yeah yeah you know you just shake it off push through it why do we tell ourselves to do that and like it's not always fair or always possible to lean on your other loved one and say help me with my my challenges. Like there are people whose job it is to do that. If I was struggling physically, I'd go to a doctor. If I was struggling with like you know phys- physical fitness, I'd go to a trainer. Just use mental support. Use use therapy when you need this kind of help. And I'm saying this as much to myself as everybody listening. So as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com slash vision. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. And once you've done that, the only thing left to do the only thing desperately needed to be done is the thing that we, I think, also take for granted, which is the state of our privates. I think it is the state of the hair around our privates specifically and the fact that that should be cleaned up. Look, the winter, especially where I live, is a, is a time where there's no leaves on the trees. There's no grass on, on, on your yard or around. Um, and I think that's a perfect time to emulate Mother Nature and get rid of that stuff around your privates. So, What are we talking about with Manscaped? We are talking about the Platinum Package 4.0. And the Platinum Package 4.0 is obviously their best package ever. 
And it's going to give you the best package ever. Hey, I did that one all by myself. So not only does this include the Lawnmower 4.0, which is the 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 best in class shaver. It's wet, dry. It works in the shower. Long battery life. Uh, wireless charging. Um, it it has uh, uh, ceramic blades with the skin safe technology to to prevent nicks and cuts. What are you using to, to shave your privates right now? Probably a, sh- a razor that's been in your shower for six months. Like, come on. It's going to be great. You're going to get the <laughs> boxer briefs. It, it, you're going to get the body buffer. It's a scrubber that makes exfoliating better. Men, you know, women have known this for a long time, I think. You got to exfoliate. You just have to, okay? You have the premium shampoo and conditioner, the ultra premium deodorant. You have the uh, the weed whacker, which does ears and nose hair. Basically, it's every single thing possible to make your body look and feel and smell fantastic. Get 20% off and free shipping with code ARSENALVISION. At manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code ARSENALVISION. Manscaped.com. Get your jingle balls ready for the holiday is what it says here. And that means, Tim, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. All right. I, I have to apologize for laughing in the middle of it. I had this flash of a moment when you said, uh, what are you using for trimming your privates i'm thinking of you up in the wilds of minnesota with a bowie knife i'm like yikes the the thing is that would work if i was that kind of guy but like honestly if you gave me a bowie knife i'd be like i'm gonna hurt myself take it back you know i'm just not i'm not i'm not that way i am not a a Mm -hmm. um lumberjack type guy um so a couple more things here with what's going on at the world cup with arsenal players and i guess you know, you've got Shaka, fine. I don't think anything major to report there. Turner, we already discussed, playing really well. Um, Tomiyasu, we discussed, out injured. It's a shame. Tim, I do want to ask you about Martinelli in particular. Jesus obviously played, but Martinelli makes his, his World Cup debut for Brazil. Can you just expand a little bit on what this will mean for I mean, let's say he doesn't even go on to play again in the World Cup. It's still the realization of a lifelong dream. How... How much will it mean to him? And to the extent that we can even glean anything from that and then, of course, refract it through a lens of Arsenaldom, how it might impact him, the Arsenal, uh, Martinelli, the Arsenal player, um, now being a World Cup-capped Brazilian. Yeah, I mean, what I'd say is it will certainly be the biggest moment of his career so far in his mind, and I think it would take quite a lot to change that. Um, you know, maybe winning the Premier League. But, I mean, yeah, the World Cup in Brazil is just its different. It really, really is. It's, um, you know, it's a country that um, is quite young, doesn't have a big military history or anything like that. Like, genuinely, the World Cup is a big, big part of its brand as a nation. Um, it's, it's, the, it's one of the few times, you know, fifth largest country in the world, very rarely talked about, um, you know, politically or economically as a superpower, feels very much in the shadow of Europe and the US. But when the World Cup rolls around, everyone talks about Brazil and it's a big, big part of the national psyche and the national pride. And that's why it comes with a lot of pressure as well. But trust me, these guys, they want that more than anything. And um, But what the knock-on, I think, for us is that we can say to Martinelli, particularly because we're trying to get him to sign a contract, you can do that here. We yeah. trusted you. We we got rid of Aubameyang. We didn't sign anyone. We got rid of him a week before the January transfer window, or sorry, during the January <laughs> transfer window. Yep. We didn't sign anyone because we trusted you. You've walked into his position. We trusted you to do it. And I think that 
that should mean everything. And and at the moment, I think he's Martinelli's near the top for minutes played um, this season overall because right up there, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah, because we've lacked that other wide player, um, which we might come on to <laughs> later in the show. He's you know he's had to play a fair amount of Europa League minutes as mm-hmm. well. So that that's huge. And I think for Martinelli as well, the the contrasting emotions actually of all three Brazilians. Obviously, the other Gabriel not getting in. Um, you know, which which will hurt him, obviously, um, emotionally, that is. Um, Jesus, it would have been a relief because he's been to one before and it didn't go great for him and it would just be a relief to get to another one. Um, and, and I think he was always going to go. But for Martinelli, like, like I said, he's got squad number 26. He squeezed in, like, to the point that it was reported on the day the squad was announced that he wasn't in. Yep. And, like, the competition is so intense. Like Brazil have taken nine forwards and Firmino didn't get in. That's the kind of level we're talking about. And there's lots of talk in Brazil about like Gabby goal as well. Uh, Gabriel Barbosa, he didn't get in. There was some that hate for Martinelli as a result of that, right? Well, yeah, because Flamengo are the most supported team in Brazil, um, which means they're kind of the most supported team in the world. Like something mm. like 20 odd percent of Brazilians support Flamengo and because he plays for Flamengo there's this whole like conspiracy that like conspiracies grow up quite quickly um, around Brazilian footballing culture and and yeah and it was seen as he was taking uh, Gabriel Barbosa's place but Gabriel Barbosa hasn't been in a squad for ages I don't think he was ever going to go he's doing a lot but he's doing it in Brazil. He's not doing it in Europe. Um, and, and there is a distinction there. But so he, he scraped in and that sounds, and, and to us, that sounds crazy because he's been brilliant this yep. season, but he scraped in. But, you know, when I tell you he got in ahead of Firmino, that probably puts it in a little bit more context for uh, regular Premier League watchers. And so the fact that he scraped in, that he was so close, and I really, really think. For him, it would have gone right to the last game, to the last performance. I really think that Chite, when he was, you know, writing down his squad, crossing out names, putting names back in, I'm sure he's Martinelli's like the rest of us out. with our brackets and our fantasy football. He's like, yeah, no, no, yeah. screw it, I'll put him in. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, and it might have been a coin toss, and I'm sure that name was scribbled out and put back in a few times. And look, the the journalist that reported Martinelli wasn't in the squad isn't a hack. He's well-connected. So mm-hmm. it could be that on the morning of the announcement that that was true, and at the last second he went, no, I'm taking Martinelli. I've got a gut feeling or something um, that's telling me I've got to take this guy. And then not only that, like like I said, I, I predicted he wouldn't play a minute in this tournament. Well, that prediction has already fallen on its ass, And that tells you that he's impressed in training as well because, like, Chite loves a lot of his forwards. He loves Anthony. Um, the, and, and, and again, if you watched him at Man United, you'd be like, really? But Anthony plays really, really well for Brazil. Richarlison plays really, really well yeah. for Brazil. His scoring yeah. record at the moment for them is crazy. And, and you look at actually the order of their attackers and you think, okay, obviously Neymar plays, probably obviously Vinicius Jr. But there's probably a lot of people looking at going, is Rafinha one of the four? Be- like, he's really good, but is he one of the four best? Is Richarlison? And the answer is probably no, but they, they fit together. That's kind of the point. They really fit together Yep. Um, as an attacking four. And, and for Martinelli to have forced himself into that conversation and say, you know, you've got five attackers on the bench, but 
I want and and Gabriel Jesus is probably going to come. I want to be the guy that comes off the bench. Like he must have done a hell. And and this is a really short period as well. This is the shortest pre World Cup period there has basically ever been. And so for him to do enough in like five days of training to to muscle his way onto the pitch, like we we all know that Martinelli is turbocharged, but you know I reckon he's he's he's. You know that cliche about 110%, which is obviously um, not actually possible. Mm. But he, he might have found 100.1%. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because when I used to be critical of Granite Shaka, the one rejoinder that I would get a lot, and it's a fair one, is you may not like him, but every manager he's ever played for thinks he's one of the first names on the team sheet. And there are things you don't see when you watch a football match that managers see, and they see it with Granite Shaka. Martinelli's in that camp, I feel like, because he went from coming back from a year long out with injury to, you know, is is he going to be in in Arteta's plans? This was at a time when we weren't sure if Arteta had his guys he liked and guys he didn't to being like a must start first name on the team sheet type guy who plays every single game. And he goes away to a Brazil team he wasn't even sure to make and impresses so much in training he gets minutes when he it was said he wouldn't even play, right, Tim? So, I mean, like, this is a guy that yeah. whatever he's doing, whether whether he's a guy who clicks for you as a fan or not, managers see something in this guy that gets him on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. One an, Another thing I've written about for a couple of weeks' time scheduled is about Sambi Lokonga. And um, one of my doubts over him is, it does he really fit, like, the positional style play that Arteta wants, like where Arteta wants five behind the ball and five in front of the ball. And to me, Sambi looks like he just wants to be on the ball and following it. And 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 kind of Martinelli used to be like that. And so like the question around Sambi Lokonga, for example, which I think I kind of already know the answer to is does he get invested in like Martinelli did when Arteta was talking about, yeah, he needs to add gears to his game and things like that. And we thought Maybe he didn't like Martinelli, but it was clearly, it was like, okay, I know this boy is good. Maybe he hasn't quite got the positional discipline to play the exact way I want at the moment, but he's so good. I'm going to coach him to do it. I'm going to put the time in to coach him to do it because I'll get the reward. And and he's learned that as well. And the, the kind of advantage for him is Brazil have very much moved to that style in the last two years. They've very, very much gone to... Because when Chite first came in, they were like almost like a wingerless team. Um, they were very much more about like box shapes and all of that, but they've moved to this positional, much more Arteta um, kind of style of play over the last two years. And the fact that he's playing at a club level, I'm sure. I'm sure that's another one of the things that Chite has been impressed with in training. It won't just be him busting a gut and spanking the ball in the top corner. I'm sure he's looking at him and thinking, "Oh wow, he he knows this system. He knows like the tactical kind of." discipline that I want as well and he's going to be 25 at the next world cup and there's something to be said for going you know what let me bring this kid let me get his feet wet let me show him life in the brazilian national team during a major tournament because at 25 he might be the first name on the team sheet type talent i mean he he has that ceiling so let's let's get him warmed up paul over in the england camp uh sorry tim do you have a final thought on that yeah, I was just about to say actually that I, I think that's quite true. It's also worth. Um, Could Chite uh, be I the manager in in four years' time? Well, no, no. Chite is stepping down after the World Cup. Regardless, that was um, that was announced a couple of months ago because uh, he's been in the job six years. His contract's up, and he already said 
well ahead of time and they don't want him to go. He's very, very good. And f- who knows who they're going to appoint next because there aren't many good Brazilian coaches out there. But no, so this is Gite's like, if I don't win it now, I'm never going to win it. And he's still banked on Martinelli. However, I still think Elliot makes a good point. Gite is um, enough of a good guy to think about that kind of stuff as well, I think. Well, to show you that I'm not going to get picked for Arsenal anytime soon, I think I've just somehow broken my shoulder sitting here podcasting. So just a heads up on that. Um, Paul, over in the England camp, slightly different situation for the Arsenal players. Um, No Ben White yet, no Ramsdale yet. Not a huge surprise. I do think there's been criticism of Trippier's performances, which brings Ben White into the picture, but there's other right backs. There's one Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, who certainly will be thought of as an option. But Bakayo Saka continues to be a regular starter for England. Real good in the first game against Iran, obviously with the brace. Loved it for him. Subdued against the USA, but the whole team was subdued. But for reasons that don't necessarily bear discussing, uh, Bukayo Saka winds up being someone that gets challenged for his place in the team. And I think some of that, look, is tribalism between clubs. It's the talent England has in the wide forward positions. And... I think it's just natural when there's a Foden on the bench, when there's a Grealish on the bench, right? When there's players like that waiting to come in, that in a subdued nil-nil, Bukayo is going to be one of the players that comes in for attention as, as whether or not he should be getting his starting role. So I'm curious how you think mm-hmm. about the the Arsenal players in the England camp, and in particular Bukayo Saka, who it wouldn't shock me if Southgate shakes it up just a little bit against Wales because it's a game they don't need to win. They don't even really need to draw but he might want to get a look at what a team looks like with a Foden starting in it or something like that. So could you see could you see changes coming and could you see Saka being one of the ones who maybe sits down for a game and how that might impact him? Yeah, I could see him uh, playing Saka off the bench uh, just to kind of freshen everything up, get other players to have a look in to um, – I see your flex in your shoulder there. People don't understand how much of a physical contact sport being on this podcast just, is. Just, just just reaching the age in life where sitting is, <laughs> is how you get injured. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, that qualifies me to be a left back for Arsenal. But go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, look, the one thing Saka has going for him is maybe it's just my eye or my mind. I don't like the la- names you listed off. None of them are like, oh, yeah, his best position is right wing. Not for me. Not Foden. Not, no. Certainly not Grealish. Uh, like, what, what? in your mind, what's Mount's best position? Um, Bench, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I quite like him, but he's, he's, not, he's not super doing it. And certainly, like, he can play in, on the right-hand side as kind of a, a confusing option for the opposition because, uh, you know, he starts out there, but he drifts into midfield. But you're not playing him there to do what Sanka does on the right wing to give that width or to tuck in as an inside forward second option. Um, and like if I'm Gareth Southgate, A, I, I'm not super exciting, but B, I like the idea of Saka as my man on that side. I mean, ironically, after the last game, the one thing you would say about Saka is he always is quality on the ball. He always uses the ball well. He keeps it like... Southgate still, even when he puts out an, an attacking lineup, he he's kind of he wants it to be predictively performant. There's a word I just made up, and Saka is that right? You just know every game almost, and um, he's going to perform. He's going to put in dangerous crosses. 
cutbacks. I mean, the first 10, 12 minutes where England were actually good, it was in large part because Saka was doing his thing. Um, I just, as as the manager of England, I can't see past wanting Saka almost as the first name on the sheet. I know it doesn't, it isn't quite like that. I know he's under a lot of pressure and it's probably time to play Foden, but I, you know, I don't see playing Sterling off the right-hand side. I mean, he could, but it's not how he's mostly used Sterling. So, like, weirdly and strangely with all of the talent at their uh, command, I think Saka's, like, it's one of the easiest decisions for me as the manager of England to make, which I'm not, but I'm not going to hold that against me. So, Yeah, <clears throat> fair enough. Well, look. Am I Saka wrong can, in that, do you think? No. No, like, what I was going to say is like, if Saka can... Who would you play instead of Saka on the right-hand side? Yes, I mean, he could move Sterling over. I think Foden can play either side. They're all um, very compromising, aren't they? Yeah, as, you, I mean, you could play Rashford, I guess. The irony is, yeah, Rashford, the confidence yeah. in Saka because there is no natural right-winger in the team other than Saka. Mount could move over there. Um, the thing I'll say about Saka is if you can miss the last penalty for England in the Euros... And come back and be awesome for Arsenal right away. I have, of all the players who are at the World Cup for Arsenal right now, mentality-wise, he's the one I have the least concern about. And not just miss the last penalty for England in the Euros. Step up and be Arsenal's penalty taker in the sharp end of the season yeah. last season, and and make you know and score your penalties like that kid. Hopefully, he misses a, pen, a key penalty for England in this World Cup too that puts them out. Yeah, because it, it just seems to make him only, only... It's all about the club. It only makes me stronger, Tim. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I, I think also what's in Saka's favour is because, like, um, I don't think people want him out of the team per se, but it's like, how do we get Foden in kind of thing? And actually, I think I've kind of... I, I don't know if I'm getting, like, a little bit dogmatic about this, but I've been, like, developing this theory that actually Phil Foden's more of a finisher, more of the guy, and, and therefore, I think if you play Phil Foden, it's ahead of Sterling. Um, don't get me wrong, Foden's brilliant on the ball, can do all the build-up stuff, but the more I've watched him since, particularly since Haaland has come into the City team, like, I think Phil Foden's a great finisher. I think he's really good at picking up positions and, and almost scoring those Sterling-type goals. So I kind of feel like he actually doesn't put pressure on Saka's place because the thing that Saka does, and again, you know, we're talking about things that coaches value more than fans. The thing Saka's got is just in the build-up. First of all, he's decisive in the penalty area, but he's got that build-up as well. The way he turns players and... Just I, I know we've said it time and again, but the way he can receive the ball back to goal, spin, and get turned like not many. It feels and looks a little bit like quite a moderate value skill that not many people probably value that highly. But it's it's so so big. He you think of when you game. watch football. Yeah, you you think of when you watch football. How often you see the winger receive the ball back to goal? Where does it go? Straight back, straight back, and yep. you do the horseshoe. There aren't many players who can do that. Give it to me, bang, turned, and I've gone. Like it's just, it's such a unique skill that not many players in the world, let alone of his age, actually have to be able to get turned like that. And it's, it's just one of those things I think that coaches go, wow. I really wish that every team I coach in my career has a player that can do that because it's such a big, important skill set. And, and it's, it's why I think, 
And, you know, we were talking about Martinelli a minute ago. Do you remember for the Euros, Saka was very much touch and go. Mm. And in fact, at the last minute before the Euros, they changed it from 23 to 26-man squads. And I think a lot of the thinking was that had England been a 23 squad for the Euros, that Saka wouldn't have got in and that he got in because at the last minute they they extended. And and look at what he did in that tournament. He forced his way into the team. And I think it's just because, particularly when you've got Sterling and Kane, um, you know, that your your scorers, your finishers or whatever, having that guy that can just quickly turn moderate value possession into we're in your penalty area now. And even against USA early on, I think I think the two US chances closed, in the first five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the US closed that space quite well afterwards because they thought, oh my God, we're getting exposed down here. But the guy who can just turn, you know, we've got the ball vaguely in midfield to we're in your area now. Like that that's a that's an enormous skill. And I, I really don't think it's one that Gareth Southgate will want to give up. And we know this as Arsenal supporters. The extent to which the wide forward thrives has a lot to do with the fullback. And I think Trippier has been poor. And when you have a fullback who's not playing well, it always impacts the wide forward. I mean, think about last season, how our left wing fell apart when Tierney got injured and we were playing, you know, weird options on the at left back. It really damaged the extent to which we were able to build play through the left. So I think I that think is they- something. Also used him a little differently. When I looked at his positioning, like with Arsenal, he stays pretty wide. And he was very much tucked in a lot of the time as kind of a, uh, quite close to the center forward. Nothing wrong with that. He's quite capable. But it meant he couldn't do the things that he can reliably do for Arsenal because you can always get it to Saka on the wing. He can always isolate a player. He can always mince them. Whereas as soon as we sent him, uh, as soon as England sent him a little more infield to open up that corridor on the outside, then it was all about service to him and he wasn't getting it. When he did get service, he didn't do enough with it. But uh, I think England uses him quite differently or did in that game. Yeah. Um, all right. Let, let's finish off with some transfer rumors, you know, just so that someone mm-hmm. will listen to this um, with another podcast coming out literally hours from now. Um <clears throat> So, Paul, there, there's really two, mm-hmm. Mudrik mm-hmm. and Danilo. Mm-hmm. And they both seem to have some fire to the smoke. Let's start with Mudrik because it's probably the more exciting one, even if it's the less important one, so to speak. And I, I can expand on that. But obviously, if you said right now, what do we need that is absolutely essential to our season not falling apart? You'd say someone that can come in and play the party role if he's not there. But I think Mudrik is the the better player, candidly, and we'll get on to that. We've scouted both of these players over on Patreon, by the way. If you want to see the scouting videos, I'd highly recommend it. I think both players have rough edges, but Paul, I was pretty down on Mudrik after the scouting video at the 100 million euro prices being quoted. Now it looks like this is going to be 40, and it wouldn't surprise me if it comes in just south of that. Um, at that price, he is the kind of player, what I saw in the scouting videos, a quick teaser of this is, I saw a player with rough edges but whose ceiling is as high as it gets because his absolutely extraordinary pace and his understanding once he gets into the box of what to do with the ball are things that very few players have that. The pace alone. I mean, you see with Mbappe, the ability to turn on the Jets at that level and get past people terrifies him. I don't know if you saw this highlight, but in the last France game against Denmark, Mbappe just shakes his shoulder a tiny bit like he's going to sprint. And the Denmark player falls down. Just literally just falls straight to the ground. Because he's like, I 
don't know how to run with you. So for me, Mudrick is a player that I don't think you buy him and say, put him right in the starting lineup. He's going to be that guy. And that's why I wasn't sure at 100. But at 40 million with the elite pace and penalty box capabilities he's got, I think he adds some firepower we probably need. Yeah. Um, Look, I don't know a huge amount about him. Mostly what I've seen in our own scouting videos. Um, He looks like the kind of player I would expect us to go for. And I don't think a few million either way is going to be the reason we don't do it. A hundred million, well, that, you know, you're creating a whole problem for the club at that point because there's going to be like there's some pull on wages, agent fees. It just gets a little stupid. That means he's gone somewhere else. But it seems like he's definitely gone somewhere this window. We have the need. We have money. We'll spend a lot of it. Uh, you know, we can't fund whatever it is his club needs a hundred million for, but we can. Uh, that's the 40, 50 million is absolutely what we would and could do. We had a conversation on a previous pod, given that, uh, you know, it is on to make a real title charge and you don't, we're not, even if we're better next year, we may not be in a better position in the league at this point next year. Um, like things have lined up for us and you go for it. So we have seen the Cronkies spend money big on players to tell us to be excited, and they followed through. Um, I don't think they're going to let this... I really don't think if there's a good option here, they're going to let this window slip unless the money is stupid. Um, As you said, he's young enough. uh, He's going to be excited enough about being part of this project that he doesn't need to be an automatic starter in his first half of the season. I think he could be a big contributor for our overall squad we clearly need something else in the attacking and somebody who can have an immediate impact that one feels like a really good fit i mean i'm a bit suspicious with fabrizio saying oh it was 100 million now it's 40 million uh but it could be more but it could be less all in the one tweet uh like it's up and down like the assyrian empire i guess is what i'm saying here and of course um, yeah i was thinking that too yeah but a uh, little Life of Brian reference yeah. there for Tim to keep him engaged while, while <laughs> nah, I go off. Didn't, didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> um, so who knows? But I think that's like, that's almost the, the, the kind, of situa- kind of situation, kind of player I can absolutely see us going for. You can't get a nailed on number one starter uh, to bring into our lineup because like we we have two guys we st- that start every game it has to be somebody who sees himself as potentially a peer with those guys and can really go for it and understands he's got a transition six months but he's going to play some really important games and minutes for us the only thing with him tim is he is a stick on left winger he is not going to be a number nine alternative. He's not going to be a right winger. When we did this scouting video, we also scouted Jesper Lindstrom. And I don't think Lindstrom's ceiling is as high, although he seems more polished in the moment. But Lindstrom can play right. He can play left. He could even do a little false 90 type stuff. And when you look at it and you say, we don't love our options behind Saka. We don't love, well, your mileage may vary on how much we love our options behind Jesus. We probably love Emil Smith-Rowe if he can stay fit as an option behind Martinelli. And so you buy a Mudrick who is a nailed-on left winger. Who I, I mean, look, can ever, any winger play on the opposite side? Maybe a little bit. Um, it, 
it feels less attentive to our needs to have a versatile across the front three player that we rate. But I realize versatile across the front three is nothing in the in in the face of potential superstar on one wing. But so it's it's not the cleanest fit in terms of squad construction for me, simply because right now I would say a right winger we like and a number nine we like probably are slightly more of a priority versus a left winger we like with Emil Smith Rowe coming back. And here we are strongly linked to a guy who, in my view, is a stick on left winger and probably not any of the other two. Yeah, it's why, like, I, I am. I, I guess you could um, put it on a par with the Tielemans stuff in terms of Tielemans has never really played left eight before, mm. but we all talked ourselves into the idea that he he could and would. Um, but uh, that I I just wonder a little bit about the Mudrick stuff. Like uh, they're just. <sighs> On one hand, it's like there's a lot of noise around it, but so, you know, sometimes when you just think a lot of it's generated from his campsite, though, isn't it? Yeah, Look yeah. Look at me, and a lot I gotta go. Big money. Yeah, and it's a lot of it's yeah coming from him. So, and, and like, I'm not criticizing him for that. I think that's sure. fine. He wants to make the next move in his career, you know, without putting too fine a point on it. Um, you know, he's playing in Ukraine at the moment, and that's that's problematic as well. Um, so, you know, I'm not criticizing him for that, but there, there does seem to be a bit of the, you know, um, I'm a winger, get me out of here, um, type of stuff. And, and I, I'm with you, Elliot. I, I think who we definitely need another wide forward and it doesn't have to be, uh, to Paul's point, it doesn't have to be like, it's not like when we sign Gabriel Jesus and it's like this number nine has to be great because he has to play all the time. Like, this is much more about a rotation of four. This is much more, you know, maybe if we're playing the Champions League final tomorrow and everyone's fit, you don't start, but you probably come on and you probably play the Premier League game before that because we trust you as a... Like you say, like another Smith... A right-sided Smith row is basically what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I too would be slightly dubious about another left winger because... All right, yeah, Martinelli could play on the right. Smithrow could play on the right, but we never see it. Yeah, there's got to be a reason that we never see it. Um, you know, the, it's the one it's thing been I think Reece on Nelson that team Marquinhos. is when we uh, brought on uh, subs, we often kind of switch Martinelli around. It might just be towards mm. the end of the game. Uh, and while I agree with you, like Martinelli, Martinelli also talked about uh, playing a striker recently in a way that. It was just a quick comment, but he absolutely says, yes, I could play as as a striker. Now, I'm not saying that's something we want to do at this delicate point in the season when we're when we're we're locked and loaded. We got twenty-four games. It's kind of don't change everything, keep doing what you're doing until it, it breaks. But uh in the broader scheme of things, uh you could maybe there are the conversations internally about ways to use Martinelli beyond the way he's used this season, yeah. next season we'll have Champions League. And so Mudrick is kind of, does he help us to see out this season <clears throat> with some extra depth, etc.? Do they have ideas how to use Smith-Rowe, Mudrick, uh, Martinelli in slightly different ways? Not necessarily yeah. as your, your automatic starter, though. It, it, it's a little bit like um, Richarlison at Spurs, right? It's yeah. like you don't start ahead of Kane, you don't start ahead of Sun, you probably don't start ahead of Kulisevsky, but you can play all three of those positions and any one of those injured or rotated, you're the one that's in. Um, the, but the thing is, I think we're quite quick to forget that we 
we were we went big for Rafinha in the yeah. summer. Yeah, you know, which is a shows you that they really wanted another wide forward, and b he's he's very much a right winger. Um, that that's what they wanted, and they were prepared to go big. They were prepared to spend big money on that. So it would be quite interesting if if the focus has shifted to more of a left sided player. But it also shows that they were willing to spend budget on that, and that suggests to me that there is budget there. So like the prices around Madrid, I mean, obviously no one signing him for a hundred million. That that's just not happening. Yeah. Um, I don't think. Don't I, don't, I don't know what the price. The be, same but. question in a way because when. We we talked about Rafinha and the huge money, and he's a no, kind of an automatic starter, but he's not going to start ahead of, uh, ahead of Saka. But, 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 but Mudrik wouldn't no. be an automatic starter. Like that—that's the reason the Mudrik thing makes a little more sense to me. This is a guy you can buy at 21 years old and say you're you're a first man or second man off the bench guy. You can't do that with Rafinha. I think you can do it with Mudrik. So my point it's, here, it's though, almost, uh, the yeah, point I'm trying to make though is that. Maybe we're looking at it differently to Arteta, which is Arteta wants two guys competing on each wing, like fully balls on competing because it's good for you and there'll be multiple competitions. So he doesn't have a problem with the fact that it would be Mudrick and Martinelli going at it for the end of the season, stepping in, competing with each other. I know we want a little more Saka coverage. Maybe he, like, I don't think he sees Smith Rose the same thing over that side. Uh, he does a job, but he, he's not a, like he's a player, um, a player we want to use. But I don't see him. I know. I know we say we see him as a left winger. I don't really feel that with him. Mudrick and Martinelli would be good competition. He was fine with Rafinha versus Saka for a full season. I think he just sees it differently. He wants two players going at it on each wing. Sure. I, I don't. Mm. I don't think it's the best sign for Smith Rowe. I, and and that's look, sure. that that's reading way too far into it already. But when Smith Rowe has played under Mikel, he's primarily played mm-hmm. instead of in lieu of Martinelli. That's yep. been his. That may not be where he sees him long term, but that's where we've seen him play. So going off that, buying a guy who will expect if he's coming to Arsenal, he may not expect to start, but he would sure expect to be the guy behind the guy. Then either Smith Rowe's position is changing. Or Smith-Rowe's longevity is in doubt. And look, the one thing you have to say about Smith-Rowe, and it's heartbreaking, is there may just be questions about whether his body can ever be depended on. Because what was the game, Tim? You never forget this stuff. The game where Smith-Rowe just like arrived onto the ball at the top of the box and passed it into the bottom right corner. Chelsea away. I mean, that's a pretty good game to do it, I would say. Um, yeah. That, that was the Chelsea game? Just the, the, yeah, the, just the che- 4-2 yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry. There aren't many players in the world that can play like that. That can just, you know, arrive on the ball top of the box, open your body, and just pass it that way. Like, he has, he is a sensational footballer. There is no doubt in my mind that Emil Smith has the talent to be starting at the highest level at a club that wants to be top four and maybe beyond. If they have doubts about him, it's only his body. But, and I have doubts about my body, but that's a different issue. But, like, um, to, there, there's... At this point, you'd be hard-pressed to argue with that because he has not been able to stay fit at any point for a very long time now. So he's got an important per- period coming up, Tim, yeah? No? Yeah, no, okay. I had nothing okay. else. Uh, so, well, so let's finish I on this. one yeah. thing to add on Smith Rowe. The one thing he has to add to his game is kind of a bit of la pausa, the ability to stay on the ball for a minute, to pull players toward. It can't always be the quick give and go because otherwise he's got to 
play wide. And he needs to be able to play in those 8-10 spots too, not well, just – We've put that on him a bit, haven't we? But what if it turns out he's a forward? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, what if he isn't an 8 or a 10? What if it turns out – He's a guy who can really finish. I mean, he, we know one of the things that made him look so good last season is he ran super hot on XG, right? Like he finished everything. But what if that is his superpower, is that he's just phenomenal around the box, you know? So like as a left-sided, a left Maybe. narrow forward? Maybe. Yeah, I, I guess I see that. As, like it could be what they have in mind. It feels like projection from where he is at the moment. He, to me, he the way he finishes is more like you're – Aaron Ramsey arriving in the box. That's yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I like think a very a attacking eight mm-hmm. ten, more kind of bringing bringing the ten part of it, bringing the attacker part of Is it. Is his passing good enough to be an eight ten though? Because that that's the part of his game that has. Yeah, to Yeah, that's what me. I'm talking about. He needs yeah. to de- develop more kind of a cultured game, faster, slower. Kind of see the pitch a little bit more what he really sees is his opportunity for a one two and he's off to speed up the play he's a great accelerator play but you don't need that for 90 minutes every game sometimes you need to you know you need to create your rondos to pull them across so that you can switch it to the other side martinelli does that really well saka does that really well um and so now he hasn't had that much time between injuries to develop that side of it but that's what he's got to do like i love what he does the one twos the zipping it the accelerating our game but you got to slow it down play it around at times and he needs a bit more of that la pausa the pulling the matter shape pulling them towards him be kind of uh have the ball stick to him a little longer than he has traditionally done a little more yeah. chill all right last 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 thing here tim danilo we scouted him as well physically he looks the part he can carry the ball he, he can play the first time ball over the top or spray it out to the wing he can do a lot of that Boy, does he like to turn into trouble and give the ball away. Boy, does he like to carry the ball in a way where it's easy to take it off him. He he does not have ball security. He does not have he is not careful in possession. You know, he he's a little bit reckless. He likes to take on players when there's no move there to be taken on. He turns into trouble. I did read some stuff that his head's been turned. He's ready to move on from Palmeiras and he's having a bad season. He's had some red card issues. Um, is it just the case that this is a player who's too talented to be playing where he is and maybe is lost some of his focus on the game because I have to admit the scouting video worried me in terms of very very raw player who has the tools to maybe come in and someday be the party guy but you'd need a player between party and him for me to feel safe you know like a 25 year old he didn't look like a guy that would say buy him now and if party's out boom there's your guy so am I misreading that what's your take on Danilo in terms of his readiness to be the guy if he needs to be the guy Mm. Yeah, I <clears throat> I I think it'd be too early for that. I actually think so I I think Sambi Lakonga's going to go. Yeah, um, I think so and too. I, and I think it would be more likely as a a bit of a cuz you've got to remember El Nenny's contract is only 1 year, right? Um so that <clears throat> and they only extended it by 1 year. So that kind of says that Arsenal made the decision one more year and that's that this is a like a tide over operation. I wonder if he might thing, go so. on loan to Vincent Company. Yeah, that's Could not a, that's not a Could club. Be. That's a person. Well, <laughs> uh, Burnley, um, but but that that's that's kind of yeah. I I think it would be more likely in the kind of El Nenny replace because the thing is, it's going to be the the whole party piece, as it were. That's really interesting because I'm not really sure you can get a young player to do that. 
both because you have to be so physically dominant, but because the position, I think the position just requires so much nous. And Party couldn't do it for a little while. He's had to warm up to it as well. Elnen is an experienced guy. He doesn't play it like Party does at all. So it's it's a big, big piece. No, and the thing limits. is that, yeah, yeah, there are midfield slots coming up because, you know, Jack is 30 now um, as well. So, like, I think... So basically, like Party and Jack are in their 30s, which doesn't mean they're, you know, ready for the Naka yard just yet, but you've got to think about it. I think Sambi Lukonga is going to go. So basically, I think there are some midfield spots there. I don't think Danilo would be like, I mean, I suppose what you could say is if Party's got like a couple of years left, you can kind of. Um, try and model Danilo in the background. I'm not sure about that, though, because that's what we've been trying to do with Sambi. And if you're trying to get someone to learn a position like that, the only way they learn it is by playing games. Mm-hmm. And that you just get that whole dichotomy. Like Sambi Lukonga has gone from... One of the issues, I think, for Sambi is that he was playing all the time for Anderlecht, and all of a sudden, it's like the harness has been slipped on him. He was the captain... And now it's like he didn't even make the bench for the Wolves game. Mm-hmm. That's got that's a psychological adjustment and everything like that. And it would be the same for Danilo. He's been in the Palmeiras team for a couple of years, um, and so I, you know, I, I just have my doubts that that Arsenal would even think that he's the party replacement. I think he'd much more likely be like the Elneny slash Sambi Lukonga replacement. And I, and I think the party one it is probably going to take its going to have to be someone a little bit older and probably someone a little bit more spenny as the kids might say yeah and and i'll just say this about your point about needing to play he wouldn't be coming into an arsenal where you say well next season we'll give him the europa league you know and that that changes the dynamic too let's leave it there guys we've been going a while and as i said this is this is going to be tough to get anybody to listen to and i think it was a great conversation so i feel like people will be missing out um okay we'll leave it there Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. Uh, Check out those scouting videos or don't. Just stick around here. We'll have the World Cup daily today and and every day because uh, right there in the title, says World Cup, and the third word is daily, so it comes out daily. Tim's on Twitter, at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. Stillmanator. Ah, I did it at the start. Tim's on Twitter, (laughs) Stillmanator. Man, I did it at the start, but I've already got my mind on other stuff. Sorry. Stillmanator. Tim's on Twitter still. But but see, the good thing about doing this, Tim, is we actually draw more attention to it, which gets people. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's 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 branding. Exactly. exactly. Uh, My pleasure as always. Yeah, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Uh, you're welcome. I've I've actually had a change in my name to him. Not not the fundamental thing. The bit on the front, I've I've matured a little bit over the last week or so, and I've changed it from P I M P to Paul's. To, to pause. To, yeah, to reflect a little more maturing in my presence on social media. I hadn't noticed it elsewhere, but I think it's a good start. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gutter. We love you, and we will talk to you after your country town, other country note. Bye.